Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Amen. Hey, welcome to Redemption. So glad that you guys are here. Uh, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption. If I haven't met you already, uh, let's say hello after the service. Um, <clears throat> well, this is week four of our uh, series, Reinventing Jesus. And I want to begin uh, today's service by uh, bringing to our attention one of the quotes that we've used uh, several times over in, in the different weeks. And uh, it's by our boy, Blaise Pascal. By the way, uh, if, if, if Mr. Pascal had a Twitter account today, this would for sure be a tweet. It'd be a banger of a tweet to get, get likes and shares and all that stuff. Okay, he says this. He says, um, God created people in his image on the sixth day. And every day since, uh, people have returned the favor. That we have reinvented God. We've recreated God in our image. And so last week, we talked about uh, G.I. Joe Jesus. And we talked about how Hasbro... Um, Hasbro kind of used this marketing to say that um, that that G.I. Joe was America's movable fighting man, and it was the first you know action hero of its or action figure of its kind. And what we've done ever since is we've kind of reinvented Jesus to be America's movable fighting God, and we've super glued his name to a lot of agendas, and and, and that's a whole thing. So anyway, go back and check that out. Um, I said at the end of the sermon that that we needed to beg uh, for God's mercy and forgiveness for the way that we've done that, and. Uh, and so if that intrigues you, if that interests you, you can uh, find it anywhere that you get your podcast, like uh, Spotify. You can just search Redemption STL. Well, there's this, uh, there's this trope um, that has been played out through TV and movies ever since maybe the 80s, 90s, maybe even the 70s. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, it's this kind of, by the way, 80s and 90s, when I say 80s and 90s, that was like, you know, 1990 uh, was 32 years ago. Like that's... I know, I know. There, from, from anybody who's like 30, 40, or 50, it was like, wow, oh, what? You know, it's crazy. Anyway, um, so uh, we're talking about 80s, 90s, like, you know, when we were children or 20-year-old, you know, 30-year-old. So back in the 80s and 90s, there's this trope that played out, um, this idea that, like, dads would go to the gas station, right, and they would go to get milk or cigarettes, right? This is back in like the 80s and 90s when everybody smoked cigarettes and drank cow's milk. Today, nobody smokes and, uh, and you know, nobody drinks cow's milk. When you go to get milk at a, I was at a, uh, I went to a um, coffee shop in St. Charles and, and, uh, and so my, my, I don't, I just take my coffee black, by the way, but my buddy, he was like, yeah, it's actually Chris Highfield, by the way, so next time you see him, you can bust on him. He was like, yeah, I just can't, he goes, I'm not manly like Corey, I can't do black coffee, so I need milk and they're like, what kind? And he was like, well, what kinds do you have, you know? And they have like, you know, 16 different nuts now you can get milk from. It's crazy. Anyway, they ask you if you want the full strength of the diet version and on and on and on. So, um, so back in the day, though, you know, we would go to the grocery store. We would get milk or cigarettes or whatever. So there's this trope. I'm, I'm going to get back on it. I'm like all over the place. 
There's this trope, okay, this idea that, that dads would go to the gas station and they wouldn't return with milk or cigarettes. They would just leave their family forever, right? They would just, oh, you know, dad went to get milk 20 years ago. He's never been back, right? It was this like trope that was kind of played out in movies and in, in TV shows and stuff like that. By the way, if uh, that's your story, like your dad went to the gas station, never came back, I apologize. Uh, we can talk about that over coffee, and I'm not trying to make light of that. But the reality is this, that it's a trope for a reason because it didn't really happen. I mean, it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really something that happened. Um, uh, but unfortunately, it's kind of stuck in our society, right? This like gas station trip dad type of thing where he went and he never came back, and, and so now I don't have a dad, okay? But what, what's, what we've done, though, with that kind of archetype and that trope is we have made that into the version of Jesus that many of us uh, would believe in. This idea that, that Jesus, that he, that he along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit started to create the world, like set everything in motion, and then like ducked, right? Like just pieced out. And there's actually an ism uh, that is defining this. There's an ism behind this, and, and that ism is uh, the view of God called deism. And deism says this, deism is the view that God exists, but that he is not directly involved in the world. Deism pictures God as the great clockmaker, okay, hear this, who created the clock, he wound it up, and he let it go. A deist believes that God exists, that he created the world, but does not interfere with his creation. Deists deny the Trinity, the inspiration of the Bible, the deity of Christ, miracles, and any supernatural act of redemption or salvation. Deism pictures God as uncaring and uninvolved. Uh, Voltaire, the French writer, Descartes, the French philosopher, uh, John Adams, and uh, Thomas Jefferson, American presidents, they all are famous deists. Uh, they believe that God set it all in motion and then he, he dipped, he, he, he took off. Uh, think of it this way. This is kind of like the cosmic vacation God type of belief. This idea that God created the world, he set everything in motion, and then he either, because he was really tired and he just needed like a forever Cancun trip, right? Uh, or because um, we were just too much for him, we were too much stress, he didn't really like us, he didn't really like creation, and so because of all these things, uh, whatever the cause would be, he just left. He went on a cosmic vacation and he's never returning to earth. This is the view of deism, this is the view of, uh, of, of deists. Now, um, the reality is there is this like, you know, uh, this idiosyncrasy kind of between what does it mean to be a deist or believe in the deist uh, view and, um, and what we're trying to paint today as like, what does it mean to uh, kind of follow a gas station trip Jesus? And what I'm saying here that this difference is that deists actually don't believe that Jesus is God. Okay, so this is like a big deal. Um, but there's actually something known as Christian deism, which is really interesting. And the reason it's so interesting is because the foundational belief of Christianity, if you didn't know this, like if you're just new to church, like you just came for the first time and you're like, I've never been into a Christian church. Let me tell you what our foundational belief is. It's that there was a man named Jesus who lived a perfect life. He was fully God, fully man. He died on a cross and then he was buried and three days later, that dude came back to life, okay? And because of that, he then ascends into heaven, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and has made a way for every single one of us in this room and every single person in the world to then come to him. Like, this is the gospel. That we can live with him forever because of his sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice on the cross. 
This is the gospel. Now, this is our belief, our foundational belief of Christianity. And deists don't believe that. What they believe is that Christ was a moral man and he had good moral teachings. But what they don't believe is that he was God. And so this idea of, of Christian deism, it's, it's what? Like it's, they, they, you know, it's non-sequitur. It's, it's incompatible. You don't have to be McGruff, the, the crime dog, to sniff that one out, okay? So, um, but, but still, gas station trip Jesus we get to this place, um, this view of, of Jesus, that he doesn't love us, that, that we can't have a personal relationship with him. If, if, you, if you stick around, you have enough conversations with people, you'll find out that people have this, have this belief that um, underneath the surface of their view of Jesus, that he wants nothing to do with them. They have this belief that um, underneath the surface, that, that he might tolerate them, but he, he definitely doesn't like them. And this is the idea of gas station trip Jesus, that he, he couldn't, couldn't love us, and so he left us. But the question is, is this Jesus? The question is, is this what Scripture says about Jesus? And here's the problem. There's a big problem with this idea of gas station trip Jesus that a lot of your friends believe, by the way, guarantee you. There's a big problem with this. And you know what the problem is? It's the Bible. <laughs> like the Bible has a lot to say about this. And it's a really big problem for this view of Jesus. What we're going to do today is we're going to uh, turn to the New Testament. And so at Redemption, we want to always start at the same place together. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles, either physical or digital, and we're going to go to the table of contents, and, uh, and then we're going to find this book together. And we're going to be looking at uh, the book of John. John is uh, one of the um, Gospels. It's in the New Testament. And so we're looking at, and when you get to the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so we're going to go to the book of John, and we're going to go to chapter 10. All right, so you can go to John chapter 10. And as we go to uh, today's scripture, what I want to do is, I want us, again, to just put the beliefs of deists in front of us and kind of see exactly what they believe. And then uh, my goal today is to show you the heart of Christ for you. My goal today is to show you what, what Christ really believes about you. Um, and so this is what, uh, again, what they believe. A deist believe, believes that God exists, that he created the world, but he does not interfere with his creation. Deists deny the Trinity, the inspiration of the Bible, the deity of Christ, miracles of all kinds, and any supernatural act uh, of redemption or salvation. Deism pictures God as uncaring and uninvolved. Okay, so with that said, let's, let's dive in. John chapter 10, verse 22. It says, uh, it was now winter, uh, so we all feel that, right? It's so cold outside. Okay, so uh, it is now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, I just want to set the picture here for us because sometimes I think when we, when we go to the, to the Word of God, I think sometimes it feels so distant. Like when, when you're reading the Bible, doesn't it feel sometimes like a J.R. Tolkien like novel or something like that? And you're like, I don't really know what's going on. Is this like Lord of the Rings? Like I've never heard of that place before. Um, but uh, there's this thing, Solomon's Colonnade, or it's also known as Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. And it's a physical place. It's on the eastern wall of, of the temple. This place really existed. And in fact, uh, Josephus says this. He says, there was a, a porch without the temple overlooking a deep valley supported by walls of 400 cubits made of uh, four square stone, very white. The length of each stone was 20 cubits and the breadth six. 
the work of King Solomon, who first founded the whole temple. So Josephus says this in Antiquities, and uh, in, his, in his journals and uh, in writings. And, and the reason that I say this is because, again, sometimes it can feel so distant. And so Josephus, he gives us this explanation. And, and I think the other reason I say this is because Josephus is not a Christ follower in any traditional sense. He's not, he doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. He's not, he's not someone who's given over to that at this point and, and maybe ever, uh, we, we believe. But, um, but there are people, historical people that wrote, he was, he was a historian. There are historical people that back up the stories of scripture uh, by physical places and, by, and, and just writing about you know, the, the people of that time. And so again, we're seeing here that, that somebody outside of the Bible is writing about this very moment that's happening in these very things that, that happen. Here's a photo, by the way, of, of kind of what it would look like. Um, uh, so the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but uh, this is kind of what it would look like. And Jesus is walking through this, um, and then he's surrounded by all these people. And so we're going to see here um, uh, all these people surrounding him in, in just a second. John chapter 10, verse 24. The people, they surrounded him, and they asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? I love this question. If you are the Messiah, tell us Plainly, be candid, Jesus. Be honest, be open, be serious. Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. Now, I, listen, I don't know if Jesus is, like, super frustrated right now. Like, if he's throwing his hands up, and he's, like, I don't know if he's laughing. I don't know. I, like, I, I don't really know what the emotion is here. Um, if I was him, I would be laughing at this point. Like, you lame brains. Like, I literally have showed you and told you, and you're just not, you don't believe me. But whatever it is, I do love this, that... Uh, the story of Jesus, uh, or, or rather the way that Jesus reveals himself in Scripture, it's so plain. Like You don't have to be a rocket scientist. What we're going to see here is that some people, they take the words of Jesus and they really misconstrue them. Um, but Jesus is really clear. He's super clear when he goes to reveal himself. He's saying, like, I've told you plainly. You just don't want to believe. And, uh, and so he's saying, I am the Messiah. And, and he's been saying this, by the way. It's, this isn't the first time. He says, you know, if you read John, every interaction, he's revealing himself as the Son of God. But in John chapter 5, verse 35 and 36, I, I want to show you this. It says John was, uh, this is Jesus talking. He's talking about John the Baptist. He says, John, meaning John the Baptist, uh, was like a burning and shining lamp. And you, he's talking to all these people, you were excited for a while about his message. Guys, you were excited about it. But, but he says, I have a greater witness, Jesus says. I have a greater witness than John. And what is it? It's my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. So it's clear here that Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah, okay? Um, that he is God himself because he's the Son of God. Um, and the proof that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, is what? It's his teachings and his miracles. And he's shown these people all of his teachings and all of his miracles. And so he's like, hey, just like, get on the same page as me. Okay, so then, verse 26, uh, in, in chapter 10. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. By the way, I think this is a slam, and I think it's like a really weird slam. Like slams were weird in Jesus' day, right? So um, anyway, he's like, yeah, well, you know, you're not my sheep. And they're like, should we be offended? We're not like, yes, we're not sheep. We're humans, Jesus. Um, but just before this, he was actually talking to them, and he was saying um, this idea that, hey, um, my sheep, they follow my voice. They hear, they hear my, my voice, and they obey. 
And so Jesus is talking to these people in this context. So it's not that weird, even though it still is kind of a weird slam. Okay, verse 28. Uh, I give them eternal life, Jesus says, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Okay, these verses are action Packed Like Jesus is dropping bombs here. And I think that if we just read over these types of things, like, I mean, for you who like are normally just kind of reading your Bible on a, on a, on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning and, and like you haven't fully gotten your full cup of coffee in yet, right? And so you're like, you know, eyes are kind of fading and you're like, I don't really know what's going on. Anybody ever get to the place, maybe this is me because I have ADD, somebody before service, they're like, we, we heard you talk fast. I do, I apologize. Let me slow down. Anybody get to this place where you're reading and you're like two pages in and you're like, what did I just read, right? Anybody, by a show of hands, all the time, okay? And if that doesn't happen to you, either you're like a savant or you just don't read. Anyway, so, um, so often what can happen is we get to scripture and we start reading through scripture and we're like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Jesus, he's still talking to people. But we don't slow down and see what Jesus is really saying, okay? So um, this is what he's uh, saying here. He's saying he, he's giving eternal life. Let me ask you this. Who, who has the authority to give eternal life? Just God. Like, my, my neighbor Mike, he can't do that. He can't do that for me, right? Like, he just can't, okay? Um, I, I go to Taleo Coffee, and I often get coffee from this, this uh, gal named Faith is her name, Okay? Uh, or even if it's like, you know, the owner, Olivia, okay? By the way, go, go like, you know, love them, uh, Taleo. Go, go uh, patronize them. Uh, so um, when I go there and I get coffee from Faith or I get coffee from Olivia, um, they can't also serve me a side of eternal life with that, right? Like even the one whose name is Faith, she can't do that. And so um, who, who can give eternal life? God. That's it. And so Jesus is saying that I give them eternal life. Yeah, yeah, why, why, why? Because he's God. He's saying that these people, they won't perish and that no one can snatch them from his father's hand. And, and I just, I want to pause for a second. I think there's so much beauty here because has anybody in here ever had um, a doubt about your salvation? By a show of hands, mine's up. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Um, I think sometimes we get to this place where we're like, God, I think because of what I did yesterday or what I did just now, like an hour ago, you can't love me anymore. And we get to this place where, like, God, do you, like, do you, have you really saved me? Am, am I really in your hands? And we, we deal with this question, like, can you lose your salvation? I think we, you know, we deal with that. By the way, I don't believe you can. And I believe that this is one of those things that just evidences that. It shows us that. And if you're ever, if you're ever, like, you know, in this place of going, and I'm just hearing lies from the enemy. I'm hearing lies from Satan that I'm not worth it anymore, that he doesn't love me anymore, that I'm not saved anymore, that I, whatever that is, I, I want you to lean on these verses. Okay, so that, that's here. Jesus is saying, nobody can take you from me. Um, and then the third thing is this, that he says, the Father and I are one. <laughs> this is crazy, like unreal. Jesus, he kind of takes the, the Luxardo cherry, puts it right there in the old-fashioned. Okay, that's like the finishing touch on this, okay? The Father and I are one. And, uh, and so how does the crowd react? How do they react? Well, once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. They try to murder him. And Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? 
Um, I love this. This is like, I mean, Jesus, he, he's, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's also a philosopher of sorts, right? And I think it's funny because, like, this is like his philosopher moment of being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I've done a lot of things, right? Guys, wait, 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 just, just, just slow your roll. I've done a lot of things, but like which one? Uh, let's, let's like turn on the reasoning side of your brain here for a second so that uh, you don't murder me. And uh, they say, they replied, uh, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You're a mere man, uh, or you, a mere man, claim to be God. By the way, um, I just want to say that I, when I read this, uh, I was reading it this past week and just kind of praying through this sermon and thinking about um, when, when pastors, when we read verses, um, we do our best to think through kind of like every element of what's happening around in the story. And you should do this, by the way, if you're studying a passage, you should really just sit there and try to think through every element, okay? Um, I, I don't know if this is like helpful at all or whatever, but um, I just like imagine everybody in this crowd uh, looking like Dwight Schrute, okay? Because they say things like, we're stoning you not for any good, good work, but for blasphemy. I feel like he would say that, you know, Dwight Schrute from the office. Uh, you, a mere man, claim to be God. And he's like, you know, up in arms and they're all up in arms. I think um, the crowd, they wanted to kill Jesus because why? Because he was claiming to be God. And you're going to have friends, and there's, you know, there's like history channel shows and things like this um, that would say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Can, can we just agree in this room that that's crazy? Can we just like in this room, I, I know that like, you know, the world might think one thing, but like it's really clear here. Guys, we haven't even read the whole Bible. We've read 13 verses. That's it, 13 verses. And in 13 verses, it is so clear that, uh, um, that, that Jesus has claimed to be God. And so um, I said earlier that deism, it doesn't really stand because of what? What's the big problem? The Bible. And, and, and so here are the six things. And you could take a picture of this, by the way. Um, uh, because I think that when we get to these places where... Um, we, we have a conversation with someone. Today I was having a conversation with Chris Horton. We were talking about the blue bloods of college football. And, uh, and I said, hey, just, just don't worry about it. I actually have a graphic. And so I pulled out my phone and I pulled out this graphic. And I was like, here are the blue bloods, like statistically, by the way. It's not a conversation. It, it literally is like an empirical thing. And, um, but I think sometimes when we get in these arguments or discussions, it's good for us to have some empirical data, some actual like evidence of, of what we believe. And, um, and so here are six things that clearly show that uh, th this gas station trip idea of Jesus is just, it's just wild, right? Number one, Jesus was with us. Um, he was in the temple walking, John 10, 23 says. And, and we're coming up on the season of Advent. It starts next, next Sunday. I'm so excited about this. Uh, we're going to be doing um, uh, this, this series called Down to Earth. And in this series that we're in right now, Reinventing Jesus, we're talking about the ways that we misunderstand or mischaracterize or we reinvent Jesus. And in um, this next series, Down to Earth, we're going to be looking at um, who is Jesus and, like, why was he someone who was down to earth when he came down to earth? Like, wh what makes him so relatable and lovable and, 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 and what are his characteristics? So anyway, I'm excited about that. But one of the things about Jesus that we, we, we just revisit every single year. It's maybe my favorite thing about Jesus. Is his, his name Emmanuel. And what it means is God with us. It's a very simple name. 
Emmanuel. I don't, I don't even, I didn't count up the letters. You can count them. I don't know how, it's like 10 letters, something like that. Whatever it is, Emmanuel. One name, but it has so much weight to it that he's not a cosmic vacation God. He didn't go to the, to the gas station for milk and never come back for you. You weren't too hard to love, and so he left you. That, that's not the story of Jesus. In, in fact, he left the comforts of heaven. He left everything that he had, and he was born uh, to this terrible world in so many ways, a world that would eventually kill him. Why? Because he loves you. Emmanuel. Jesus, he, he was walking with them. He was with them. Number two, Jesus, he, he does work in the Father's name. The proof is in the work I do for my Father's name, uh, John 10, 25. Three, Jesus' teaching in, uh, in, in miracles prove his deity. I have a greater witness, he says, than John. My teaching and my miracles, John 5, 36. Four, Jesus gives eternal life. He gives it, right? Again, not Faith or Olivia, Taleo, you know, he does, okay? I give them eternal life, John 10, 28. Five, Jesus is the Son of God. My Father has given them to me, John 10, 29. And six, Jesus is God, the Father and I are one, John 10, 30. So clear, so clear. Now listen, if, if, if you are not going to believe in Jesus because you can't um, agree with the validity of Scripture, because you're like, hey, you know what? Like, I know Jesus revealed himself through scripture, but I don't, I don't believe in scripture. I don't think that scripture is, is relevant. I don't think that it's, you know, whatever. That's, that's a different sermon for a different day. It's a different conversation. But if we are going to follow Jesus, then we have to follow him on his terms. And how did he reveal himself? He revealed himself through the pages of scripture. He revealed himself through scripture to us. And it's so clear here in the scripture that he is God that he is present, that he gives eternal life and nobody else does, that, that we can't be snatched away from him, that he and the Father are one. These things are so clear here that he gives a plan of supernatural redemption and salvation for anybody who believes in his name. Like this is so clear here. And so if we're going to believe in Jesus, we have to believe so on his terms. So if God reveals all this to us in scripture, then why do people still believe in a gas station trip Jesus? Why is it that people believe in a God that created the world but ultimately doesn't want anything to do with that world. Why do people believe in that? Um, I want to turn our attention to Missouri's hometown hero, Mark Twain, for two quick quotes. He says, um, I believe our Heavenly Father invented man because he was disappointed in the monkey. <laughs> this is really comical. And the second thing he says here, uh, like along these terms, man was made at the end of the week's work when God was what? Tired. He was tired. God, God was tired. That's why, that's why we have so many problems. That's why we're, you know, and really we were just, we were just made because the monkey wasn't entertaining enough. You see, Mark Twain is giving us this idea. By the way, he's, he's known as the father of American literature. Like, he's one of the greatest writers of all time. He's one of the best minds of all time. And Mark Twain has this view of us, this very improper view, that we're nothing. That we're not worth anything. That God just made us last, and he was tired, and, 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 and we're no, not really any better than the monkey. We just, God needed something else to entertain himself with, and and see, the problem here is that when we have this improper perspective about our value, when we devalue ourselves, 
um, because we don't know what God really thinks about us, because we don't know what he really says about us, then we end up with this gas station trip Jesus because we believe that we aren't worth it. That because of our sins and our shortcomings, because of our our hurts and our hang-ups, God couldn't stay and love us, so he left us. This is what we believe. This is why we invent this story. Um, I told this story uh, several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, but I was, I was meeting with a friend of mine. She's in her 50s, and, and, um, and, and she said, you know, hey, I, I've just been through a lot, and I had a really rough life, and especially in my 20s and my 30s, I had a, just a really hard time and really rough time. And, and um, she said, I, I, before I um, tended to my spirit, is how she said it, before I tended to my spirit, before I kind of explored uh, spirituality, and she's at a place right now, she's not a, she's not a Christ follower, um, but she, she said, um, she said, I do believe in God. And, um, and, but before, before I was even like, you know, tending to my spirit, I, um, I would tell people that I didn't believe in God. And she said, it was a lie. I was lying the whole time I believed in God. But she said, Corey, you know what? I believed in a holy God Whatever form that is, she's still not sure and settled on that, right? And by the way, if you're here today and you're not settled on that, like, keep coming back. Welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, don't, don't not come next week. Come back. Uh, it's okay that you're just halfway in and exploring. Please just chill with us for a bit. And, and she said, you know, I, I believed in a holy God with real standards. And I believe that at the end of the day, he didn't want anything to do with me. And so I decided I'd beat him to the punch. And I would have nothing to do with him. When she said that, it just sank into my soul. And I think, how many of us do that? How many of us, as a defense mechanism, because we don't believe that we're good enough, because we don't believe that God would ever love us, that we've done too much, we've done too many things wrong, um, that we reinvent Jesus. Uh, we, 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 we take this this picture of Jesus and we turn him into the 1990s dad who went out for cigarettes and never came back. So the biggest problem in this, right, is the Bible. So in, in our wrap-up here, I, I want to look at the calling of Matthew. Matthew is a disciple of Jesus. He's also known as Levi. And there's this moment in, uh, in Mark chapter 2 um, where uh, Jesus is, is hanging out with Matthew and the scribes of the Pharisees have some things to say about that. And uh, it starts like this in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he sa- they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, what a bad guy, Jesus. He's eating with people who aren't perfect. He's eating with sinners. Why is it that he eats with sinners? By the way, if you're not eating with sinners, please go have a meal with some sinners, okay? Um, and so, uh, why does he eat with sinners? I'm just trying to get you to be more like Jesus. If you, you need to hang out with some people who are doing some bad things, right? So anyway, um, like, so, uh, why is he eating with sinners? In verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, very philosophical, I love this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Do you see that? Jesus came for Matthew, the sinner, the dirty, rotten sinner. And he came for me, the filthy, rotten sinner, and he came for you. You're probably a bad sinner. He came for me and he came for you. He came for, for, for the least, the last, the lost, the leftovers, the sick and the hurting. 
the ones with hurts and hang-ups. Tim Keller says this. He says, the gospel, I love this quote. I've shared it several times in here, but it's worth repeating. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's you. You're sinful, you're flawed. You're hurting, you're broken. But this is the gospel as well. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I think our culture, we, we look to so many things for love and acceptance. And so, you know, whether it's, uh, it's pop culture or sexuality or it's, it's you know, uh, our, our friends at school or work or our, our um, you know, our success in our jobs or whatever, we, we look to the world and Jesus is going, no, 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 I love you and I accept you. And, 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 and this is the gospel, that Jesus came for you. Jesus is God with us. He came for you because he loves you. And church, hear this. Humanity has this dirty habit of reinventing Jesus into a Jesus, get this, that we receive mercy from without him demanding the sacrifice of us giving him our lives. And then if we've sinned beyond the acceptable standards that we have created in our own mind, we will secondly reinvent God to either be a God who does not exist or a God whose existence is inconsequential because we have reinvented him to be a God that doesn't care about sin at all. Either we effectively become Stan Lee, if you don't know him, he's the creator, author, writer of Marvel Comics, or J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter, or any other fiction author. We write a story about God that is not true, a story that is fiction, a story that might as well have the Hulk or Harry Potter in it. One of the biggest problems with this is that the customer and audience of our newly minted lie about God that we just wrote ourselves, it all starts and it stays in our head. But God cannot be created, manipulated, or reinvented. But church, hear this. The beauty of the gospel is that our sins don't scare him away. The beauty of Jesus is that he knows what you've done, what you're currently doing and what you will do tomorrow and with full knowledge of a full history and a future capability to sin, he loves you nonetheless. We don't need to reinvent Jesus. We need Jesus to reinvent us. We need Jesus to work in our hearts and change us from the inside out. So here at Redemption, we're not gonna run away from our sins. We're not gonna diminish them in any way. We're gonna encounter them in the light of the gospel that though you are fully flawed, you're also fully loved. James says this, and we out of all of creation has become his prized possession. Out of all of creation, you are his prized possession. Hebrews says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. At redemption, we're gonna choose to take God at his word. You know what his prized possession is? It's not the honey badger. It's not the giraffe. It's not the Grand Tetons. It's not Costa Rica. It's not the Atlantic Ocean. It's not the great blue whale. It's you and it's me 
prized possession, the jewels in his crown, the prized possession he's ever created is sitting in this room and it's walking in the streets and it's driving all across the country and sitting in living rooms, people who who don't yet know that they are his prized possession, people who are battling depression, people who are battling loneliness and hurt, people who are dealing with health scares and they're doing it alone, people that are battling addictions, but they're his prized possession and it's our job to tell them, you are God's prized possession. The beautiful thing about it is this, that you're not a disappointment to God. God didn't go to the gas station for cigarettes and leave you because he couldn't love you. But God came for you. He died on the cross for you. He left, and John chapter 14 says that he prepared a way. He's made a way for you. He's built your home if you believe in him. And Hebrews tells us that there's a room next to the throne with dad. (laughs) And so when when you're feeling hurt and broken and lost and lonely, and when you're feeling inadequate and insecure, can I just tell you, I feel more insecure in my life now than I have ever. It's crazy. Um, lies of the enemy just like coming at me. Nothing, nothing, uh, the, the, nothing in any of this makes sense to me, but in my head, I am dealing with crazy lies. And uh, the last song we sang was, I am who you say I am. You are his prized possession. I am his prized possession. We don't serve a God who left us. We serve a God who prizes us. And so I want you to remember that this week. That you're not a disappointment to God. If you were the only person that he created, he still would have went to the cross for you. And so, so God, I pray that we wouldn't reinvent you. I pray that you would reinvent us. I pray that you would um, I pray that you would make us more um, present with you, with others that are hurting and broken, lost and lonely. I pray that you would give us your heart for a broken world around us full of depression and addictions and loneliness and and an endless empty pursuit for status and and money and, and purpose. But they're trying to do it without you, so many of them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the message that we need, the words that we need, and the heart that we need to tell a hurting world that they are your prized possession. And Lord, we praise you for your priceless blood on the cross and for your salvation. And uh, we thank you that 
deism isn't true, and that we are who you say we are. So let's just be asked in the name of your son, Jesus.